Welcome to Knoxville Chronicles, a podcast series produced by the Knoxville History Project, an educational nonprofit which researches and promotes the history and culture of Knoxville, Tennessee. The Christmas Saturnalia of 1893. It was just three days before Christmas when Whittle's sawmill on the south bank of the river exploded. The boiler blew, killing Mr. Whittle himself and three of his associates, sending some of them, or parts of them, into the river. Newspapers described each body part discovered in detail. Four others were injured, three of them seriously, but it was a common sort of disaster, not the sort of thing people mulled over for more than a day or two. Still, it was an inauspicious beginning of an unseasonably warm holiday weekend. Temperatures were in the upper 60s, and people had no particular reason to stay inside. Thanks partly to Mr. Charles Dickens, the Christmas holiday had grown more and more popular in the previous 50 years. But the older folks remembered when it was still considered a foreign or Catholic holiday. And when among good Protestants, the day came and went with little comment. In 1893, however, Knoxville still wasn't quite sure what to make of Christmas. To some, the holiday had become a welcome, quiet family thing, with gifts and Christmas trees bespangled in Victorian windows. But Knoxville was a city full of newcomers from all over the Western world. Some came here to work in the factories and wholesale houses, but thousands of them didn't have families at all. Many were young men looking for trouble or some fun whichever was handier. Knoxville had more experience with the 4th of July, which some in the city had been celebrating since the 1790s than with Christmas. Fireworks seemed perfectly appropriate for both seasons. Available at several places, like German immigrant Peter Kern's establishment on Market Square, fireworks were part of the holiday. They'd been around for several years, but during these balmy days, they took center stage. Almost as if echoing the Whittle explosion, things began blowing up downtown. The word Saturnalia was far better known in the 1890s than today. You didn't have to be a scholar to know something about classical Rome and its annual orgy. There was a tacit acknowledgement that Christmas had some pagan heritage, and along with it, wild, uninhibited revelry around the solstice in the darkest days of the year. People who participated in that year's Saturnalia, however, weren't necessarily classicists. Saturday was the last real shopping day of the season, considering that, in those days, most stores were closed on Sundays and everybody was downtown. Some were shopping in the wild carnival of selling, and, as one advertisement put it, the final week of slaughter. On sale were books, baby dolls, and baseballs, plus the latest fad for young athletes, the bicycle. New models were available in several stores. Even MacArthur's, the well-known Gay Street Music Store, advertised bicycles. Pianos and bicycles, it seemed, were both mechanically complex luxury items that appealed to the same demographic, the young and affluent. There was already a bit of cynicism creeping into the holiday, One newspaper reporter commented that the store clerks have had a siege of it, trying to pick out goods to suit the various fancies of their customers and giving an anti-Christmas smile with every bundle. Meanwhile, Santa Claus smiled in advertisements, 
Not that anyone in this brave new era believed in him. The modern boy or girl has gotten over the Santa Claus apparition belief, reported the Knoxville Tribune that year. Others, perhaps with no one to shop for, saw opportunities for chaos. As the Tribune later recorded, never since the Democratic rally was there such an uproar and noise on Gay Street that Saturday. Much of the noise came from fireworks, crackers or firecrackers as we know them. They shot big crackers, little crackers, torpedoes, and dynamite. That year, 1893, there were three daily newspapers, and they all described it differently. The Journal compared Gay Street to a battlefield, a blaze of glory and other things. It was a varied lot of people that thronged the gay thoroughfare last night, the fashionable and unfashionable, rich and poor, good and bad, black and white, but on nearly every face the gladness of Christmastide beamed. Something seemed different, though. That reporter found it remarkable that Gay Street was so noisy that you couldn't even hear its usual sounds. The clanging of the streetcar bells and the shrill cries of the Wienerwurst men were all hushed by more turbulent noises like those of bursting bombs. The Tribune reported that the center for what seemed to be the headquarters for the noise was in front of the Hattie House on Gay Street. That was at the Hattie House, a large Victorian hotel on the corner of Clinch and later the site of the Farragut Hotel. Someone exploded something like a dynamite bomb in front of the Mechanics National Bank and shattered the large glass window. That bank was the same site in 1882 of another noisy spectacle, the Mabry O'Connor gunfight, which left three respected citizens dead and multiple innocent bystanders wounded. But adding to the Christmas chaos in 1893 was a gang of 50 University of Tennessee cadets marching heedlessly around downtown, blowing tin horns and yelling. A favorite prank that day was rolling large buggy wheels down the crowded streets to watch pedestrians react to the random havoc. Most of the pranksters got away, but police were able to catch seven offenders, some for public drunkenness. It all seemed to end promptly at midnight, though. Even rioters respected the Sabbath and Christmas Eve. On a Sunday that year, was mostly quiet enough to hear the Yuletide choirs in the dozen churches of downtown. However, the peace wouldn't last. Worse was yet to come. As the clock on the courthouse steeple struck midnight, something exploded on Gay Street, and the Christmas chaos resumed with a vengeance. All Christmas Day, crowds of boys and men roved up and down the streets, blowing things up. Firecrackers set at least two buildings on fire. Police officers watched the crowds rather helplessly. When an officer arrested one miscreant, he was followed to the jailhouse on Market Square by a howling, yelling mob who threw crackers and other missiles. Almost 300 people followed the policeman to the jail, chanting, Turn him loose! Firecrackers were thrown at pedestrians, even elderly women. They were thrown at horses pulling wagons, alarming them. They completely destroyed an Italian candy vendor's well-laden cart on the corner of Gay Street and Union. By 8 p.m., someone had piled calcium lights on Gay Street and torched them. For a few seconds, the street was brilliant with red light, and the crowd yelled its approval. Soon after 10 p.m., though, the hubbub ceased and Gay Street became quiet, except for random shots. 
By nightfall, Christmas evening, the intersection of Gay and Cumberland looked like a backlot trash pile. At least two policemen were physically assaulted. An officer, Bardell, waded into a Christmas dance in Maples Hall in the part of town on Cripple Creek, just east of what we know as the Old City today. After fighting with a man named Will Nelson, who wielded a fence post, the crowd attacked the police officer with rocks. Both Cop and his prisoner were covered in blood by the time they arrived at the city jail on Market Square. One sergeant in his 60s attempted to arrest a man who blew up a firecracker right in front of him and was then overwhelmed by a crowd who threw firecrackers at him and cut off parts of his uniform with knives. Undeterred, the sergeant grimly held on to his query. Also unable to escape the madness was police chief Atkin, who himself was among the injured in the riot that year when his horse fell on Gay Street. By 9 p.m. on Christmas Day, it was all too much. A squad of policemen, with the help of a couple deputized civilians, attacked the unruly crowd with billy clubs and restored order. By the time things quietened down, around 10 o'clock, 23 men were in jail for their part in the Saturnalia. It was the celebration of Christmas in a Christian city, remarked the journal dryly. The spirit of paganism was rampant yesterday. To the journal's editor, the episode was a disgrace to Knoxville and a reproach to the police force. The Sentinel tried to be philosophical, offering an interesting euphemism. A certain amount of such effervescence is necessary. It is a safety valve which must be turned loose at some time of the year or something will burst. The whole population joins in the fun and police can't arrest the whole population. One of those injured was 13-year-old Nathan Coleman, who was in a residential area on the east side of downtown packing gunpowder into a brass cartridge shell to make a Christmas gun when it went off prematurely. He was conscious after the blast, but unable to walk far. The blast was believed to crack his skull, and the Tribune expressed doubt about whether he would survive. He did remarkably and became a prominent businessman and real estate developer. A quarter century later, Nathan Coleman was Knoxville's safety commissioner, and by then, the chaos of Christmas was just another episode in the ever-changing story of Knoxville. This and other surprising seasonal stories can be found in A Knoxville Christmas and Knoxville Holidays and Festivals, both available from the Knoxville History Project. Thank you for listening to Knoxville Chronicles. This story was written by Jack Neely and narrated by Todd Etheridge. Sound design and editing is by Pete Carty. For other podcasts and stories, please join us online at knoxvillehistoryproject.org. Season's greetings to you all.